Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. The text I want to draw from this morning is Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. And if you're a Bible scholar, you're going to notice right away that the point I'm going to make is not the primary point of this passage, but is a valid way to draw from it. And so follow along with me. It's not going to flash on the screen, unfortunately. I'm just going to read it. Please follow along. It's a very simple text. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter... He asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly The man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. I think we live in a world that is just overloaded with stimuli. In fact, just right now in your field of vision, there are so many things you could possibly take note of or attend to that that psychologists tell us if we actually attended to and processed everything we see all the time, we would go insane. You wouldn't be able to eat or drive or anything because you'd be so overwhelmed by how many things there are to see and to take notice of. And so as a result, as a coping mechanism, we don't actually pay attention to everything. But we look at one thing at, our, at a time. If you're on the road, that one thing probably should be the road itself and maybe your speedometer. Most of the time, in order to cope with all the things that are out in front of us, we focus on a subset of the whole so that we can process and keep moving through the world. And and I think that happens very often in social settings. Now, I would I would put out the little little poll here. How many of you are introverts? But that would be really a punishment to those who are introverts. How many of you are introverts? Raise your hand in front of everybody. But I would say statistically, when we had a seminar on introversion in the church with our leaders, uh, out of a group of about forty-five leaders, almost two-thirds were introverts by self-identification. So I think it's a very common thing for people to enter church, and we call it the body of Christ, the family of God, and yet it is intensely uncomfortable so much of the time. And in case it wasn't uncomfortable enough, at our church we do this four times a year. So if you're an introvert, I fully acknowledge this is not your favorite Sunday of the quarter. I totally understand that. And yet, I think there is something that happens here every Connection Sunday 
that if you participate wholeheartedly in it, would change your experience and the experience of others around you, and it would make coming to harvest something more meaningful than might normally be week to week. In a crowded social setting, we can't help ourselves. You know, there are a couple of churches down the street from us that remind us how small a church we are. If you look at Willow Creek and Harvest Bible, it's hard to compete with 20,000 members. Uh, we would not even be a section of the auditorium altogether. In fact, those churches have more leaders than we have people in the whole congregation. And yet, even though we are a fairly small church, when you're here week to week, it is still a size that can become very overwhelming. And as a result, a lot of the people here are familiar and recognizable if you've been going for a while, but have over time drifted into the background scenery. Would you agree? So you're like, I kind of know that person. Describe him. Oh, yeah, he's kind of tall and he has longish hair. Oh, yeah, I know him. I know him. And you don't really know him, but you recognize the description because he's in the peripheral all the time. Oh, he's the guy who stands back by the tables, right? Yeah, that's the guy. And I, I, don't, I don't think we can help it. It's just the way we process a group this size. But what if there was a way to have a slightly different experience? See, I think the subset we most engage is the subset that we most readily identify with. And so it might be a gender thing. There are a lot of people who don't really have meaningful engagement with the opposite gender because it's uncomfortable. Or it might be a, an age group thing. Maybe most of us drift towards others who look to be around our general age group or ethnicity or life stage. You'll notice, for example, that parents tend to hang out mainly with other parents because everybody else is sick of our talking about car seats and diaper changes and all that. <clears throat> and then you'll notice older parents are always talking about, oh, my gosh, college tuition is going to be dang expensive. And they're all out in the one corner stressing out like crazy together about how expensive that's going to be. And we generally identify with those people who are a few steps beyond where we are, but within reach. And everybody else is relegated to the realm of categories or types. Oh, yeah, we have some people like that. Unmarried people, single people, married people, younger people, older people, youth group. And we have these categories that allow us to organize all the background scenery and say, oh, yeah, that's that section of our church. That's this group or that group. But it's likely that we don't meaningfully engage across those other groups. <clears throat> but something powerful happens when we actually pause. And I'll, I'll explain a little more about this picture in a moment. But th there's this setting where Peter and John are going to the temple. And, you know, <clears throat> if you're a beggar, a smart place to go is outside of a religious house because those people should be the more, more gracious and generous-minded people. In fact, if nothing else, you can play on their guilt. Hey, are you going to worship God, the loving God who gives to all? Um, would you mind sharing something with me? And you always get to throw out, hypocrite, if they don't give you anything. Right? So it's very convenient. And this guy's smart. And every day, someone would carry him and lay him at the gate. And each of the, the, the temple gates were named. And so he was at the same gate every single week. <clears throat> I'm sorry, every single day, in fact. Now, here's how it went. Everybody going in and out of the temple. And by the way, they didn't do temple once a week. People were regularly at the temple worshiping, bringing their cares before God. And they would pass this guy, and they would notice him, but not really. He became kind of like a landmark. So that if you walk into the temple, you're like, where's the beggar? 
He's usually right there. That's about the extent. But if, if you had a, in, in a police lineup, could you please describe the beggar? He is kind of beggarish. Um, he had beggarly appearance. I don't know. He's kind of low down here because he couldn't walk. And that's about as far as you might be able to go with it. In the same way that people who are not in your category in any social setting, you could vaguely describe them. They were youngish. But beyond that, you might not know because we don't really look at things that are in the background. But it wasn't as if this beggar was just a victim of this sort of drive-by glancing. He did the exact same thing. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Because that's what he did. He was down here, and every day, thousands of legs walked right past him. Some were kind enough to pause and give him a coin or two. But when he looked up at these people walking by, all he saw were two things, I think. One are people who could walk when he couldn't and took it for granted. Have you ever had some sort of thing that held you back, and you saw everybody else who had an advantage over you, and they didn't seem to be thankful? It's like that feeling you get on days you're fasting and everyone else is just picking out and you're like, you look at you, you're just eating so freely and I have to fast and you don't know what you have or people who can jump high or people who are tall and you're just like, you know, you don't know what you have. That's what he saw. He saw people who had something he didn't have and then he also saw people who could maybe give him something he needed. So as these faceless crowds walked past him, I'm not sure he looked at anything past their legs and their, wa- their hands and their wallets. And this describes the world we live in, where we have ways or, or expectations of thinking about one another, and we sort of walk past each other a lot without pausing to really look. <clears throat> That's really what this artist's artwork is about. This is a, a Chinese artist named Liu Bolin, and he had a series called The Invisible Man, and he played on the fact that so many people are just hiding in plain sight. So he stands with these clothes, and somebody just does oil painting. That's not some trick of Photoshop. They actually paint whatever's behind him, and he just stands there, and he looks like a floating head. Can you imagine you'd walk past that guy in the grocery store, and then when you saw him, you'd have a heart attack. There's like a floating head by the Coke. Here's another one, standing by a poster. Here's another one in front of a, a set of stairs. There's another one in the woods. If you walk past that dude in the woods, come on. Something bad would happen. And the idea behind it is, in a way, that's how most people in our lives look to us. You just sort of walk past. That's why I find it so interesting that in the middle of this text, which is primarily about the way God delivers us, God heals people, Luke goes to the trouble to record that Peter looked straight at him, as did John. That's something that probably didn't happen very much in that setting. People walk past, maybe slow down long enough to drop that coin into the bucket and not miss. But probably nobody actually stopped and looked at this guy. I'm sure he's like, what? (laughs) Just give me your coin and move on. And then they said something weird to him. They said, hey, we're looking at you, but you... Look back at us. Let's actually look at each other. We've walked past each other a hundred times. Let's pause for a second and actually take note that there's another human being and not a piece of background scenery. And what if as we look at each other, we see something we didn't expect to see? So you can imagine the, the beggar's like, oh, this is weird. 
Maybe this guy's going to drop like a hundred grand on me. He wants me to look so I don't forget the face. And then the first thing Peter says is, um, so silver or gold I do not have. I'm sure he was crestfallen. I'm sure you'd be thinking, something. move on already. You're plugging up traffic for people who have silver and gold. Because that's really all I expect from you people. And that's all I really want. If you're a beggar and you can't walk since birth, money enough to subsist on is not really what your heart most longs for, is it? But that heart yearns for something deeper. And I think that man had given up a long time ago on any hope of having what his heart yearned for. And in this encounter, he was at first very disappointed by Peter's opening line, which is not the best line to lead with when you're encountering a beggar. Dude, I'm broke as you. But... What I do have, I will freely give to you. And what I'm going to give you is better than what you expected to get. Now, primarily, this is not about human interaction. It's about a God who sees the invisible, and he does things that are impossible for our imagination. But the setting in which this God worked was a setting in which both people had a script that society gave them, and they broke it to stop and actually engage one another. They looked at each other when previously they had just been background scenery. I really believe that something powerful can happen when we do the same thing. Especially when we cross over into categories that we previously written off as saying, well, you know, I don't really have any, any way to relate to those people. For example, I just want to see a show of hands just as a, a general poll. This is the safest one I can pull up. Raise your hand if you haven't yet had a meaningful conversation with someone in our youth group. Just want to see a show of hands. I, not to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, <clears throat> so, like, th- so that I'm not just blowing smoke. Like, this does happen at our church. There are whole categories of people with which you may never have had a meaningful conversation. My goal is not to go, all of you who raise your hands, you should feel so guilty. That's not my point. I'm saying, do you see that there is a section of the church you see every week But you may not know. And what if in crossing that boundary, you're treated to something so much more than you could have imagined? See, I think some of us are longing for more than just, hey, how are you? Wow, it's getting warm again finally. Yeah, nice. Are you going to play some tennis after church? Where are you going to eat? And, you know, as you're going through that conversation, you're like, this stinks. Is this it? And as you're doing it, you're like, if this is all we're ever going to get, I'm going to go insane. Because I've been longing for something, just even one person, I just go, look, do you want to know me at all? Or do you all day long, just inane stuff? Does anyone here, and I might want a friend like that as well. Because most of us haven't had one. Since we were six years old, right? That friend, you can like go pull your pants down, pee at the same urinal. You don't even care because we're friends, man. We know each other. There's nothing between us. When's the last time I don't recommend in adulthood doing that? But you know the feeling I'm describing, don't you? That you wish you had a friend like that again. And maybe that friend is sitting right under your nose across a category you never imagined could produce that. So I'm going to stop here, but I'll I'll leave you with this final word. 
these shorter Connection Sunday messages are not intended simply to inform you about something, but to implore you to make an actual response, to take a risk and try behaving a little differently just once a quarter by our invitation and encouragement to see if it changes the way you feel about being here. And so I'm going to give you this challenge, and if you really can't work up the nerve to do it, I got nothing but love for you. Is nobody going to judge you next time you try it again? Okay, well, we got another one coming up in a, in a few months. But here's my encouragement to you today. Before you leave here, pause and actually look at someone you don't know very well and just stare at them. And just, huh. You're actually weirder looking than I thought. You know, and how, how do I look to you? And just say, look, hey, I just want to say hi. What's your name? So at least when I walk past you next week, I know your name first and see what else happens. You might be amazed to discover that a new friend is right under your nose and that it would change the way you feel about being here. So with that, there are some questions that I want to invite you to share about at your tables. And the way we generally try to do this is we don't make you walk sequentially through those because then we'll never get out of here. But as, as you're at the tables, if you feel like sharing, you can draw from one of these three questions. The first one is directly related to what I've just shared, so that you might be thinking about this and want to just vocalize it. And the other two are more about an invitation for you to let yourself be known to the people at your table, to share something about yourself that is relatively safe but interesting. And that way, we'll get to know a little bit more about one another. We do want to connect to God, but we want to do it with people that we're getting to know a little better each week. Amen? So let me pray for us, and then send you off to the table time, and we will engage with one another for, for about half hour. God, we thank you for our church. And we believe, Lord, that it is exactly the right size this morning because you have brought each one of us together in this mixture according to your purposes. That's what you said in your, your scriptures and we trust you in that, that we each belong here this morning. We did not get here by accident, but we're supposed to be here. And in that light, help us, Lord, to now engage one another, also as people who were meant to be at our tables, people we were meant to get to know a little better. And as we go through all of it, be there with us by your supernatural presence, calming hearts that are agitated and giving peace to those who don't feel it right now so that we might all benefit and enjoy this time together. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.